this this next podcast is going to be kind of a pain in the ass. Um, well, actually, you're being the pain in the ass because you're not available. Let's be honest. I mean, you guys can record without me. It's just not going to be sexy or fun. <laughs> How dare you? I appreciate How the uh, really? self-confidence, Joe. Well, oh, no, actually. the Twitter. No, I, actually on Twitter, somebody said Joe's voice yeah, no, is I sexy. And guess, and guess whose head Super. that's gone to. Guess, guess, who, guess who's taking it and running with it? Yeah. Joe. Joe's like, oh, I'm the sexy, funny one. Oh, I'm the sexy, funny one now. And then, like, Shaheen's the deep one. And then I'm just like, uh, I run things kind of. I thought you were the, the professional thing, one. I suppose. I'm the professional <laughs> one. Where I, like, Except uh, the, for the admit to, like, staring at boobs and, and swear all the time. <laughs> Except for the scotch. Like, why can't I be this? What? I realize that my voice isn't sexy. I mean, I can, like, try to make it lower. And then try to be sexy, like I'm doing now. Is it working? Mm, not really. <laughs> and there's and crickets. <laughs> um, I've been told that my voice is sexy. You also think you don't have an accent. I don't so. have an accent. Hey, we, I don't know. I, I would actually, say that we will Shaheen ask people. Has like we'll, a nice voice. Like we will, we will ask people you know. on Reddit. Do you think Shaheen's voice is sexy? That should be simple enough for people to answer. Um. Yeah. Except. I mean, no one's going to say no. I'm just going to like just poke you and Shaheen just today. Like I'm just feeling, I'm just feeling a little nudgy. Are you feeling a little cheeky today? I'm spicy. All right. Well, let's start talking about... Um, the 100 then, if you're feeling so saucy. We're talking about the 100. This is episode 5 of May We Geek Again. We are diving into season 2, episodes 1 through 4. Uh, my name is Jennifer, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Shaheen and Cheeky Joe. Ooh, I hey like guys. that. <laughs> hey, everybody, what up? What up? So, uh, welcome back, everybody. Thanks for listening. I just want to remind our listeners. Well, first of all, I want to I want to give a shout out to our listeners. Um, I want to thank everybody who's engaging us on Reddit and Twitter and Facebook. Those of us who those of you guys who are listening to us really appreciate the the following that we're we're getting. I appreciate your your thoughts and comments, and I, you know, spending some time with us an hour and a half or so every every two weeks. I really love talking about the show with my two friends here. And I love the fact that people are, are jamming a little bit on our podcast. So thanks guys for listening. Truly appreciate it. And as a little incentive for everybody, I want to announce that we are going to do a season three DVD giveaway. That's right, everybody. The season three DVD is coming out on Tuesday, I believe. And it's got a, a bunch of bonus features on the DVD, such as, I believe, outtakes, deleted scenes, um, the 2015 San Diego Comic-Con 100 panel that they held last year. So it's a pretty cool DVD set. And how we're going to do this giveaway is um, basically uh, look for us on Twitter. You'll find that the giveaway tweets. All you have to do is follow us on Twitter and retweet the tweets that we send out, they'll be pretty obvious because they will say in the graphic, retweet and follow us for a chance to win 
the Season 300 DVD. So excited to offer that to you guys. Um, we're going to have that little contest up for two weeks. So basically two Sundays from now will be the closing of that opportunity. And once we have all of the, the names, Twitter handles of people, I will do a random number generator to find out who is the grand prize winner. So look for that on the Twitters. Um, so I also have, um, oh, so it would be nice if I actually mentioned our social media stuff as I announce that promotion that's going to be on social media. Um, so you can find us on Twitter at May We Geek Again and also on Facebook uh, at May We Geek Again. It's fairly simple to find us there. Um, you can find me at Cool Hand Luquette on Twitters and on uh, my blog is declareshenanigans.com um, where I do 100 reviews and talk about some other things on the TVs. So that's it for that little promotion. Um, how are you guys? How are you guys feeling this week about um, about the podcast? You guys. Excited to record again? I just peed a little, but, you know, oh, that's, that's... <laughs> it's also just Sunday afternoon, so. Mm. Out of excitement, or are you just announcing that you went to the bathroom? A and B, A and B, always. That's that's right. great. Uh, that just might become a recurring theme on our podcast since we since we ended that, ended uh, episode four with that last week. That was, that was really lovely of you, Joe. Um, no problem. So... Um, I have a little apology to, to give out. So in a discussion throughout on Reddit about our season or about our episode four, um, uh, Bubbles called me out, um, about my Bellamy fangirl comment. And I apologize for that because I said it in a derisive fashion. And here's the deal. I spend a lot of time on social media and this is my first foray into any sort of fandom whatsoever when it comes to, to, uh, to entertainment. And there are parts of this fandom that are pure cancer. There are parts of every fandom that's pure cancer. And it tends to get me down a little bit. And I sometimes let that color my attitudes and my mood. And unfortunately, you know, it's, it's, I should be smart enough and mature enough to realize that there are 90, like 90%, 99% of the Bellamy fandom out there is, uh, rational and loves Bellamy for his character and is not like, drawing myself plus Bellamy on their Trapper Keeper all the time obsessively. You know, that's a small... Not that there's anything wrong with that either. Like, let's, you know, I but, might have a Trapper Keeper with Raven on it. You don't know my life. Look, I have a Trapper Keeper filled with nothing but me plus Clark on it. And I'm so, so curious, so like confused about my sexuality at that point. You know, just like there's 99% of the, the collects of fandom out there are rational people. And, you know, I tend to, the, the cancer is the loudest part. And sometimes it gets you down and it colors your thoughts and your opinions. And Bubbles, uh, I'm going to call you Bubs, uh, if, if I can. Uh, Bubs and anybody else who I offended, I apologize. I, I, I enjoy Bellamy a whole heck of a lot. I'm not writing him and my name down in my Trepper Keeper. Maybe I should start. Um, but really that, that portion of my Trapper Keeper is reserved for me and Nico. <laughs> I love him inexplicably. <laughs> he was, he, so that actor was actually on another really good sci-fi show that got canceled, Defying Gravity, with, uh, Ron Livingston from Office Space and, um, 
I can't like a bunch about of people. Show. Like, it was actually like it got really good and it ended on a cliffhanger and I'm still upset about it. Um, but anyway, yeah. he was on that show. So if you need a little fix. Well, I don't know what it is about big, huge, bearded, tattooed men. I, for some, like in another life, I'd probably be a Hell's Angels bitch. Um, but I'm not. Um, I'm, I'm a 44 year old marketing professional and never been on the back of a hog. So, yes. um, so that, that's, Dream that's day. my apology, bubs. And this isn't a fake, oh, I'm sorry I made you feel that way apology. This is an apology. I fucked up. I said something that was colored by an attitude that I should not really have. So fandom out there problems, stomach. I don't want to blame it on stomach problems. I don't (laughs) want to blame it. I don't want to blame it on pain. I don't want to blame it on the painkillers. Um, uh, you know, I just want to, you know, apologize and remind everybody that there is a ton of cancer out there and it's a very small portion of the fandom. Most of the good people, they don't, they don't go out there and tell you that they're good. There's a, a huge silent majority of folks that really enjoy the show, enjoy their favorite characters for their own reasons. And we all kind of need to remember that and let that color our attitudes about things. Um, I feel like I'm doing an after school special right now. So let's get on with the shoe. Um, so did the DVD giveaway announcement? Um, so we're talking about the first four episodes of season two. And let me give you some of those details. Um, the first, the, the um, premiere of season two is 48, written by none other than Jason Rothenberg. Then we've got Inclement Weather, written by Michael Angeli. Repercussions, which a lot of people love, written by Alan Ginsberg and Wade McIntyre. And then Many Happen, Happy Returns, uh, written by a, a one of, another writer favorite, uh, Kim Shumway. So we had some good episodes to watch. I fucking love season two. I will not apologize for loving season two so much. I think most people love season two. What do you guys think of season two? Uh, I love it. I, I love these episodes. I think that this, these four episodes or, I mean, whatever, the beginning of season two, it, the show just, uh, really takes off and, uh, goes to a whole other level and, uh, repercussions. One of my favorite episodes too. I think if I had a top five episode, uh, favorite episodes of the entire series, uh, repercussions would be uh, one of those. So, oh, yeah, cool. great batch of episodes. Yeah, season two. Um, I think that they like shed a lot of their like teeny bopper CW ness. Yeah, um, and you know that likely also has to do with the fact that you know they've brought the adults back down, and like we're going to see more grounders and stuff. So it's not just like you know a hundred delinquents or, you know, however many have actually 87 or whatever, um, you know, just having their own dramas or whatever. Like, I think that, yeah, we've, we're starting to really get into the meat of the show and it's going to get dark and good. Yeah. And then like the addition of the adults really adds some interesting, uh, leadership and power dynamics that go on, especially in the, the, the first four episodes, the other thing I wanted to mention is uh, I, I really like in line with your the season two kind of shed some of the the CW ness of the show. I really love shows that that hit their stride in their second season. Um, they kind of rework and retool some of the things that weren't necessarily all that great in season one and set a, a new course. And I think this, I think the hundred did that really well. The leftovers is probably the biggest. Uh, example of a season two rework that 
elevates the show to a whole new level. Like season two of Leftovers is superb, and I will knife fight anyone who says any differently. Um, because, you know, some shows, like, they do really well in season one, and then season two, they hit the sophomore slump. Obviously, True Detective was uh, an example of that. If you all watch Empire, oh my god, that became a shit show in season two. I had to turn that off on my DVR. But, like, I, yeah. I think, I think like, to, to your point in a show finding, it's, it's, it's way in season two. And I'm actually going to bring this up, like, a little bit, uh, just in terms of shows that were like elements of season two that were very like heavily referenced. Uh, I would say Buffy is a show that, that found itself in season two and there are some crazy parallels that actually happen in uh, the hundred season two worth, you know, with regard to Buffy that, that we'll get into, I think on a spacewalker. Um, But anyway, yeah, like it's definitely like the first season was good and like you keep, you know, you got me watching and then the second season you're like, shit, yeah, I'm into this. Um, so I think, yeah. Yeah, yeah I think... I, I, I concur. Yeah, the, the 100 became a really challenging show in season two, and, and challenging in a good in a good way, making you think, uh, making you consider moral choices, um, and just making... And, and just doing a lot of character development. Like, there's some great character development that goes on, even in these first four episodes, uh, especially around Bellamy um, in his just, juxtaposition to Finn. So let's start with some some themes introduced and touched on in these episodes as a discussion point. Shaheen, I want to start with you, you because you've got one about the Harvest Chamber, and I want you to explain that a little bit. I'm oh, interested okay. to hear what you have to say about that. Yeah, um, I think the... Um whole Mount Weather uh, and the Harvest Chamber, um, one way to interpret it is um, apart from, you know, the role that it plays in, in the story itself, you can you can just read it, uh, watch it as what it is. You know, you have people in Mount Weather and they need blood because they can't uh, metabolize radiation or whatever bullshit science. Um, <laughs> but um, but the, you can also read it as symbolism for our... Um, contemporary society in that, I mean, obviously the mountain men are the closest group of people to our society, of, you know, our early 20th century, uh, sorry, 21st century. But the way that, you know, we live in, in the West anyway, we live in a, um, by and large, nice and peaceful society. And we have all kinds of nice things. And uh, we kind of, tend to ignore or um, never even realize, I, I, I think a lot of people don't even realize, um, so much of what we use comes from parts of the world where, um, you know, people are enslaved um, or otherwise, you know, mistreated. They um, huh. work their hands bloody. Um, and, you know, I'm, you know, if you think about like metals, gold, even coffee, chocolate, yeah. they come from parts of, um, you know, usually Africa where, um, you know, conditions are really horrible. And we are on that bloodline. We are kind of dependent on that for our lifestyle. You know, there's obviously a lot. It's the, the situation in Mount Weather is a, a lot less, a lot more straightforward. I mean, it's obviously it's it's literally these people just using the uh, grounders as objects for their own purposes. The situation so, in our world is a little more complicated. 
uh, as you know, because, you know, you could argue back and forth about to what extent the, the Western society is responsible for the situation in the world. But um, in any case, there's this, this symbolism that I think is very interesting, where you have a society prosperous, peaceful, uh, with a lot of um, amenities. And then, uh, but uh, there is this dark secret where, yeah. you know, a lot of, uh, th- they couldn't have this lifestyle if it wasn't for uh, all these other people being exploited. So, um, so you're advocating ways. for like free trade, fair trade, uh, cage-free, pasture-raised bone marrow? Is that, <laughs> <laughs> is that um, what we're like? Yeah. That, I mean, that, that's a really, that is a really interesting um, take on it. Cause I wouldn't have thought about it that way. It's cause my, my take on Mount weather, which I'll get to later on kind of, kind of mirrors that a little bit in the dark undercurrent of how, you know, how is a society run and what are the stuff, what's the stuff in the background that you don't see or consider? So it is kind of idealized, but then again, we don't really think about, you know, conflict minerals or the people throwing themselves off of buildings in China rather than make our iPhones for us. So there is there is that there is that kind of comfortable willful ignorance that we all kind of exist in uh that we don't want to think about those darker things that I I mean huh. it it can get really depressing when you just take a look around you and go what what did it take to create this this pair of shoes you know how many kids in Bangladesh yeah. were not paid a living way, you know, it just, now I'm all depressed. Thanks. Thanks, Shaheen. <laughs> I, I do want to get into like too much of the, like, um, the details about this is, this is not yeah. what the podcast is about, but, uh, I do want to make a distinction between what's happening in, uh, Asia, Southeast Asia and what's happening in Africa. Cause I think they're two separate things. And, uh, conditions in, in the supply chains for, you know, global companies. That's one thing, I think. And uh, we need to realize that basically the reason that China is coming out of poverty in the past few decades is the existence of these um, the, the foreign investment. Uh, on the other hand, you have the situation in, in Africa where um, people are literally working as slaves. That's basically what it is. Maybe it's not called that, but... And, uh, you know, again, it's like, well... Do we did we did maybe we didn't we don't want that to be the case and and you see with mountain when mountain men a lot of them don't want that to be the case yeah um but um it's also a situation where it's like what other choice do we have you know so it's like yeah um I think it just brings up these great questions also about questions about complicity it's like if you're just a regular citizen in the society you have no intention of hurting anybody um but you also can't live in the society without using all these products. Then you know, are you uh, are you uh, uh, complicit in this? You know, to what extent are regular people who never um, actively decided that this should happen or this should be done this way um, are you know? Sh- to what extent do they take part of the blame? And and this question comes up about Mount Weather too, right? So yeah. it's very interesting. Um, brings up a lot of questions. So, I mean, I, 
sorry. Uh, so, so basically now all our podcast listeners are just like in the corner, rocking back and forth, having existential crises <laughs> and just filled with ennui. But what playing Pokemon Go at the same time. Exactly. No. There's a Charmander over here. <laughs> um, I mean, I think I think to your point, Shireen, like this kind of gets back to like a discussion that we've we've brought up several times, and we will continue bringing up uh, on the show where if people would have just talked to each other, like mm-hmm. at no point, and this is like jumping ahead a little bit in terms of what happens with Mount Weather, but like at no, like what if. Call me crazy. What if, uh, you know, Dante had approached, uh, you know, Clark and Kane and whatever and was like, so listen, hey, our people are dying. We're doing this really shitty thing to the grounders. Your people, if we take your blood marrow, we can like make all of our people safe to be outside. Everybody's a winner. Maybe we can share our like hydroponic farm techniques, Right. you know. Like the fact that like that was never an option brought up that it was either we're going to like drill into them against their will and therefore make an enemy or, you know, they're going to escape like or, you know, we're going to make Reapers like anyway, this is like totally jumping ahead several episodes, but it just it made me think of that. Yeah, this is definitely a a theme in this show where um, a lot of things happen that way, where it's like. Um, they so quickly get into this antagonistic uh, setup where, and, and it's kind of like once it starts and once you've killed each other, it's really hard to go back. But if they had just paused at the beginning and just explained their situation to each other, you, you would think that this whole thing could have been avoided. So yeah, you're definitely right. About right. That. Like Mount Weather could have been like, so listen, this is going to be really painful. Blood marrow stuff is terrible, but we have chocolate cake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's I mean, a, chocolate cake is a big a big sell. I right? mean, I'd be like, yeah. So how much chocolate cake? Like how? Yeah, like what's lifetime the lifetime supply? The rate? I'd, I'd push for lifetime supply personally, but that's just me. You know, I'm I'm kind of a pushover that way. So um, speaking of this, I was I, w- I wanted to. There was this question that I always had, and I don't didn't know where to bring this up. This might be a good place. Um, I wasn't clear on why the mountain men were lying about uh, the other survivors in the first place. I, my impression was that the uh, Mount Weather had uh, enough resources to bring in as many people as they wanted. And they definitely they needed the sky people. And later on, it's mentioned that their plan was to assimilate them into the gene pool. So before they started, you know, taking their bone marrow. So why... Are they lying about this? Why aren't they just trying to take as many Sky people in as possible? I was really confused about that. Yeah, well, I think because the the Sky people that they take in at the beginning are the delinquents. They're a bunch of kids. Mm-hmm. Once you start, once you start talking about the the rest of the Arkers, um, you're talking about adults and you're talking about a leadership hierarchy, and I, I don't see that going well, mm. especially if Sky Crew finds out what uh, Mount Weather has been doing and has a moral uh, issue with it. So that, that's my, you know, that's my take. And I don't, I don't know, Joe, if it, what your thoughts are around that. Um, no, I think, I think that that's like reasonable. It's, it's yeah. kids are much easier to sort of, I mean, it's a lot easier when they're a lot younger, but you know, it's, it's a lot easier to win over some kids with chocolate cake than yeah. it is, you know, Jasper's uh, a Kane pushover. And Abby and I know, right? I mean, to be fair, like I was actually just telling this story earlier. I remember 
I went to my one of my cousin's like one year old birthdays. And so I had a cousin who was one years old. And then the I had another cousin who was like, three maybe at the time. And he, his mom had raised him like total hippie, like watered down his juice. He'd never had cookies, no refined sugar, the whole thing, but he got to have chocolate cake for the first time. So there was a one-year-old and a three-year-old eating chocolate cake for the very first time. And it was, they would have given an arm to continue <laughs> eating. Like if you would ask the kids, so listen, I know you like your foot, but you like cake, which one will it be? Cake every time. Like the look on their face when they got to try it. So I can't even imagine like what it must have been like to not be eating either like dried squirrel that they like managed to kill out on the ground or like whatever protein paste that, you know, their rations were on, you know, on the arc. So yeah, I, I think, I think it makes sense that they wanted to win over the kids. Um, and it would definitely be easier. I mean, Jasper was already in love. Like this was, this was a solid plan, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. Jasper is pretty much a pushover. Um, and it's kind <laughs> of understandable because, he was the one that was speared by the grounders. So they're, they're safe in Mount Weather. They have food. They have clothes. They have, you know, they're protected from the elements. And there was a point where Clark doesn't believe the facade of Mount Weather. And, you know, of course she doesn't believe it because it's Clark. Um, but Jasper says the only one around here that's a danger to us is you. Basically saying, mm-hmm. sit down, you're rocking the boat. Uh, you know, so... I think that's an important thing to think about, especially as I get into the whole my my analogy to Mount Weather um, and a period in American history. Before um, you do that, Jim, can I say, um, going off of what you said about uh, Jasper versus Clark, there's clearly a narrative bias here where we as the viewers, we know that Clark is right already, yeah. right? And, and I think that that... Maybe that's a little unfair. And the same thing happened with Abby on the Ark when when uh, she was insisting that um, no, the delinquents, the the kids are still alive. And we knew that she was right. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But imagine if you didn't know. Imagine if you had no idea of who's right here. Clark does sound like a crazy person. It's like, why are you like? Why would these people? There is no reason these people would be lying and like. Um, yeah, so I just want to mention the narrative is biased in favor of Clark here. Um, Wait, but but so. here's but here's the thing though. Like, how many times does Clark have to be right? Like, by the time even we get to season three, people are like, "Well, I don't know, Clark," and you're like, "Dude, <laughs> every single time Clark is right." Like, damn it! Like at that point, like it's like they're just being willfully ignorant and yeah. hating her for there's no reason. There's a difference like, between being right for a reason and hap- and happening to be right. Going back to Plato. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think for Clark, they're one and the same. Like, that's her job. Like, her character is right. Yeah, I don't like that. Well, she, she, she <laughs> yeah, she's, she's right, but, but she, but again, I mean, she's right, but she's not necessarily always doing the right thing sometimes well we can get into that later but you know i think to to uh to your comment shaheen about jasper he does get his moment later on in season two when he he basically becomes kind of the leader inside of of mount weather of the delinquents and doing his damnedest to protect those guys from from dr singh and and her evil machinations um the one thing i wanted to mention about the some major themes i think it's interesting like as soon as the adults land on fucking Earth, 
fun is over for Bellamy and Clark and everybody else. Like, the adults land on Earth. They're like, we're in charge now because we're the adults. And Bellamy's all like, dude, we've been down here fighting the grounders, trying to find a way to survive, and all you want to do is come down here, establish your exodus charter, and put rules and regulations in place where we got to go and get our people back. Like, we got to go find Clark. we got to find the other delinquents. And I think it's really interesting, that whole power dynamic that starts. Like... They come and squash Bellamy and Finn and the rest of those guys. And it's basically um, Raven who's like, look, Finn, you got to go find our friends. And Finn breaks um, Bellamy out of, out of jail and reluctantly breaks Murphy out of jail. And they just go maverick it with uh, Abby and Miller's dad's help. So I think that's kind of interesting, that whole whole power struggle and how the chancellorship is such, you know, this thing that everyone kind of idealizes and we find out, like as the as the series goes, that that it doesn't the mantle of of leadership doesn't of official leadership, the chancellorship itself does not always sit well on certain people. It doesn't sit well on Kane in the very beginning when they hit ground, and it didn't sit very well on him in the arc. It doesn't necessarily sit very well on Jaha at times, and we see Abby is just not necessarily built for that position. She's a leader, but not, she doesn't do very well at official leadership. She, she leads more through her actions than actually having the official position. And I think Clark is very much the same way. Clark has zero interest in being the leader, having that title. She just does. I mean, she's a tryhard. She's like the original fucking tryhard. Um, and leadership comes naturally to her, but she doesn't want to be the president. She doesn't want to be the chancellor. She's just going to go fucking do whatever she needs to do to, to further her agenda, for good or bad. Um, and I, I think that it bites her in the butt several times. Um, you had some foreshadowing for Clark here for your key themes, Joe. What, what do you mean by that for Clark and Bellamy? Um, well, I, I mean, the obvious one for Clark in this case is she's presented with a lever in in act one and (laughs) we're gonna, you know, it's, I feel like every season sort of has a little, has a Chekhov's gun. Like, I feel like they're very good with that, um, on this, on this show. So she's going to pull that lever, um, later on. Uh, but it was interesting that at that moment, she wasn't going to kill all the innocents that even though this was sort of a very like shady, weird situation, she could tell something was off she still wasn't prepared to sentence every single person in Mount Weather to death. Um, She hesitated. Uh, And whether or not that's because she found out what they were doing later or, you know, there really wasn't any other option. Like at this point, she still thought that there were other options. Um, You know, I I can't really speak to that, but, you know, it was, there's Clark with a lever. You know she's going to pull it. Like at this point, like if I see her with anything, like she's going to like fuck with it. Um, yeah. And so I, I really liked that little callback that we were that we are going to get um, a couple more times. And then in terms of Bellamy, it's mostly when it comes to um, Bellamy versus uh, versus Finn. Um, there are some lines later on uh, where Bellamy basically just kind of calls him calls out Finn and is like, you know, what, where was it? Something about him being like a loose cannon. Uh, yeah, here we go. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah hey, you did what you think you had to do, but you're not yourself right now, and I can't be out here with another loose cannon. Um, that That's sort of hilarious at this point, having seen season three and seeing where Bellamy's character does end up going. But as as far as season two goes, the fact that Bellamy is this sort of like 
steady, you know, solid sort of character where, you know, he will go and do the, the, the what needs to be done um, to make sure that his people are safe uh, mm-hmm. in a way that, you know, doesn't massacre villages and whatnot. Um, you know, I, I just like that we're sort of getting away from Bellamy as whatever the hell we want. Yeah, there's there's a total flip flopping of their moral center at, in these these first four, uh, well, in the beginning of season two because we know what happens with Finn later on. Like Bellamy's the guy who is shocked when Finn kills the grounder in the bunker because Bellamy's like, you know, we're not at we're not in battle right now. You just don't shoot uh, an unarmed opponent in the head. Bellamy does a, I mean, Bellamy in these the, the beginning of of this season and throughout the season really becomes kind of the moral center of the show, um, which makes his transition in season three, all that more problematic. But season two is really Bellamy season to shine. He, totally. he has, he, I mean, he is very steady from the beginning. He won't leave cliff girl. I'm sorry. I don't remember her name. He won't leave cliff girl. Mel. Mel. He's not going to leave cliff girl there. He's not going to, um, not go after his friends. He's not going to not go after Clark. He's not going to shoot a, an unarmed grounder in the head. He's like, he's really flipped as far as what he was in se- the very beginning of season one. I think we, we saw his evolution through season one into becoming somebody who is far less self-centered um, and more con- concerned with the welfare of, of his people. And it leads yeah, I mean, him to season... do some very smart and heroic things. And I really, I really do love Bellamy in season two. Yeah. Season two Bellamy is the reason why I think that there is such like a Bellamy fan contingency. And in terms of like being a fan of Bellamy, um, you know, I, I totally agree. Like I totally count myself as, as part of that. Um, which again, to your point makes why season three was so problematic, but season two Bellamy is fucking awesome. Like, I love season two. Like so action, I guess, there's nothing better than action hero Bellamy. Just nothing better. I guess I kind of disagree with you guys. What? Um, <laughs> I not the not in terms of like liking Bellamy in season two or anything. I just um, you're not a fangirl? No, I just don't think <laughs> that his. Um, I think that he's been um, fairly consistent throughout. Like I think that. Um, Bellamy is trying to find this balance all the time. And, um, you know, he's he's always the person who would do anything to protect those that he considers his family or or his people and his, and especially uh, little kids. Um, And he's always trying, struggling to find this, this balance. And uh, at this point, he, he's, Still thinking, I mean, he's coming out of the experience of torturing Lincoln and then seeing that Lincoln was actually a force of good and peace and, you know, uh, his um, his sister's girl, um, boyfriend or whatever. And uh, he at this point, he, he's still hoping that um, they can maybe uh, get along with grounders. And he doesn't he hasn't been betrayed by grounders as much. Yeah. Um, but um, given what happens later on, I think that, and given his personality, I think if you take a person like Bellamy and put him through these experiences with these people, um, you, it's, to me, it's natural that you get someone like Bellamy in season three. So I don't see that as problematic. I don't think that anything 
jarring happened or any, you know, I just feel like that's, and, and you have to keep in mind the uh, effect of trauma. I mean, the same thing that's happening to Finn right now, I think it's, um, Finn is supposed to be like a representation of PTSD where, you know, a person who used to be the speaker for peace was like the, the resident pacifist is now because of the experiences that he's gone through is, is completely, you know, it's very easy to uh, trigger him. Uh, and, um, you know, he's, he's having trouble controlling his impulses. I guess I'm not doing a good job of explaining what it is, but you well, know what PTSD is. So yeah, but um, yeah, but remember yeah. though that that this Bellamy, the the Bellamy that wouldn't shoot the grounder in the bunker, is the same Bellamy who shot the two grounders on horses. He's the same Bellamy that that helped with the massacre of 300 grounders outside of Arcadia. So I mean, maybe maybe his driving force is protecting his people, but the 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 way he channels that and and acts on that impulse is inconsistent in how it considers people outside of his people. Right. So I think he expresses a lot of, but even in season three, I mean, he, he was never, um, he was never happy with what he did to, uh, to the army. I mean, he, he was clearly struggling. So yes, he's, he, he's he was, always he was struggling, struggling but he's, but he's, he was struggling, but he's still, he still went through with it. He still let things get really, really bad in season three to the point where Kane, uh, Lincoln, and Sinclair were going to be executed. So, you know, there is a culpability there um, on well, his mean, part. I think that most of those things would have happened without Bellamy anyway. He was actually there trying to pull Pike a little, pull Pike back a little bit um, to the yeah, center. A- after, he's, after he helped install Pike as the chancellor. I, I don't see it that way, actually. I, I mean, I don't see how it would have made any difference. I feel like the Arcadians were so sick of Kane and Abby's uh, appeasement policy that Pike would have been elected anyway. Um, well, I guess I guess we'll find out more once we get to season three. Yeah, we can talk oh, about Oh, is that. this a rabbit hole? We went down. Yes, it is a rabbit we, hole. We went down a rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, okay. Let's talk about our favorite world-building moments. And this is where, this is where I'm going to go deep, guys. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about Mount Weather and its parallels to 1950s America. And the reason why I, I'm going down this, this road is because when I first watched season two and saw, saw Mount Weather, it's, the aesthetic of Mount Weather is just so odd, okay? It, like the, the set design, the wardrobe, everything is just anachronistic to the time period of when people would be evacuating to Mount Weather. So 2052. If you look at the clothes and you look at the, the, the furniture and everything within Mount Weather, it's just so strange. So that's why I'm like, what does this remind me of? And it reminds me of 1950s America. So I'm going to do a little bit of a historical background for folks um, who may not have been born in this country and don't know uh, some of the historical background of uh, 20th century America. And plus, we've got a lot of listeners around the world. So hello, everybody from around the world who might not be familiar with some of the, the stuff that happened in the 1950s and the surrounding decades. 
So just a little bit of background about Mount Weather itself. It is an actual facility that does exist. It's a Department of uh, Homeland Security facility in the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia, and it's operated by the Federal uh, Emergency Management Agency, or FEMA. So it, it basically, it's the backup to Homeland Security's National Operations Center, um, which has an around-the-clock war room and monitors intelligence, security, and emergency incidents you know, across the world. So it's a pretty, um, it's a pretty important facility. We don't know a ton about it because until the Freedom Information Act, everything around it was classified. So what I'm telling you now is just very dribs and drabs type of information that we know about. And so it's basically a facility that's part of the continuity of operations plan. So basically what that means in the event of uh, a national emergency. This is the evacuation site for for high civilian and military personnel. Uh, so POTUS would evacuate here. Members of Congress would evacuate here. So it's a it's a very important facility when it comes to the continuity of the U.S. government. Um, I don't know if VOTUS would ever be uh, evacuated there along with POTUS. I think I, I would love to see Selena Meyer <laughs> in Mount Weather. She'd go fucking crazy. For our listeners from around the world, POTUS is president of the United States. And VOTUS is vice president. And really, everyone should watch The West Wing. That's, that's my takeaway of this. Watch uh, no, The West Wing. No, everybody should be watching Veep. That's what they should be watching. <laughs> so the reason why I think that Mount Weather kind of mirrors 1950s America is that the 1950s are really unique, and there's always this kind of sentimental longing for the good old days or make America great again. And it's, it's when people say that, they're thinking of a specific period in time that the 1950s represents. So I want to, I want to talk about the 1950s, but it's, it, you gotta talk about it kind of in context of the, the surrounding decades. It's bookended by the 1940s. Obviously, America was involved with and, and victorious um, in World War II. Um, and we basically uh, ended that war by dropping two atomic bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Um, the war helped pull us out of the Great Depression because, w- you know, whenever there's a war, there's always a, an uptick in the economy because you've, you've got a lot of jobs being created and things being manufactured. And it also, the 1940s represents the start of the Cold War around 1947. We're coming out of victory from World War II, a lot of prosperity going on in the United States that that moment in time. So on the other end of the 50s, you've got the 1960s, um, which is a very tumultuous time culturally for America. We've got riots, we've got racial tensions, we've got anti-Vietnam uh, War protests, and a lot of high-profile assassinations. Of course, the the, the big one being JFK, uh, John F. Kennedy, um, who was the president of the United States at that time. His brother, Robert F. Kennedy, was also assassinated. And of course, uh, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King was assassinated, who, uh, who was the leader of the, the civil rights movement at the time. So you know, you're coming out of the 40s, great time, into the 60s, uh, you know, really, uh, really difficult time in America. So the 1950s, though, oh, the 1950s were fucking awesome. Um, if, well, you, no, if, I, 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 if you were a white male, okay. Okay, like with the caveat that, like, it was really good for some people. Yes, for some people. So 
So a little bit of information about the 1950s. At that time, America was the strong, the world's strongest military power. No doubt about it. The, another big cultural thing that happened in the 1950s is the suburbs exploded. There was an exodus out of the cities into the suburbs. So if you were a white middle-class family, you were going out to the suburbs and living in style with your, with your white picket fence. You know, that became an American ideal. You also had the idealized American family. So you move to the suburbs to an affordable tract home, you raise a family, the wife stays home to take care of the house and kids, and the and man goes out and he, he, he works his job and has a career. Um, the 1950s had a historic and, and never again replicated economic growth for the United States. We had a surplus. We had more, more money coming in the United States from foreign money than we had going out. It was a huge booming decade, booming. So we had an economic boom and we had a population boom. That's where the term baby boomers comes from. Uh, unemployment and inflation were low. Wages were high. Everything was great in the 1950s. And something that's really important is that Americans felt a sense of hope and optimism for a future, for the future, for their future and for future prosperity. Some people. But, but yeah, so that's what I'm getting to, Joe. The 1950s had a dark side, kind of like Mount Weather has a dark side. So America was not great for non-white, non-male Americans. Um, the civil rights movement actually had its genesis in the 1950s. Um, Rosa Parks uh, and her sitting wherever the fuck she wanted on the bus happened. Uh, we also had Brown versus the Board of Ed Education in the, the mid-50s. And, and for you guys who don't know about what that is, Brown versus the Board of Education was basically an act, I believe, the Supreme Court to desegregate the schools. And that did not go over well, especially in the American South, where segregation and racial tensions were pretty much uh, the, the standard for American life in the South and for uh, black Americans. So, you know, women were also encouraged to leave the workforce and embrace being housewives. And you're like, wait a minute, it's the 1950s, women leaving the force, the, the workforce? When were women working? Well, they, 1940s, they were, they were the ones who were building the shit to support the troops. Um, so you had a lot of women um, doing trade, trade work and, and a lot of women in the workforce that were now like, oh, you don't need to work anymore, honey. Stay home and take care of the kids. Another really uh, dark part of American society was McCarthyism. So with the start of the Cold War um, and the kind of the looming specter of uh, the, the, back then the Soviet Union or the USSR, communism was a huge, a huge boogeyman to all Americans. So McCarthyism was on the rise. And, and McCarthy was this guy who basically would just fucking accuse people of being communists. And there were Congress actually held 84 hearings between 1945 and 1952 to uncover treasonous activities. So if you're like wondering how can the U.S. Congress waste their time um, besides trying to re repeal Obamacare like 50,000 times, well, they did it with McCarthyism, where they, they pulled actors and famous people throughout um, the United States in front of Congress to hurl insults and accusations at them that they were communists. And then there, in relation to kind of the USSR, there was this omnipresent threat of the Cold War, duck and cover, basically. So, like the the game Fallout kind of gets, I think, some gets a lot of its aesthetic from the 1950s, and and that Fallout is about a nuclear apocalypse. So, basically, you had an idyllic life, except for 
You could have nuclear bombs dropped in your head by the Soviet Union at any point in time, and you were told to duck and cover, and basically had to kiss your ass goodbye, because there's no recovering from a nuclear bomb striking like a major uh, population centers. So the reason why I think like Mount Weather in the 1950s, there, there's an obvious parallel here, is, is, the, is kind of that strange aesthetic. It, like Mount Weather doesn't have a future look and feel. The clothes aren't modern. The, fu- the furniture isn't modern. The, the dining room feels like it's stuck in time. And it's weird. Like, why does everyone get dressed up to go eat, right? Um, like, they're wearing their suits and their military uniforms and dresses, and the women are in their best pearls. And this is very much a callback to the 1950s when things were kind of more formal. Like, uh, the man would wear his suit to work. He needed to come home and maybe take his suit jacket off, but he was still going to be formal. The woman got all dressed up. Even though she's taking care of the kids and, like, dusting at home, she still got her hair did. She's got her nice dress on. She's got her pearls, her string of pearls on. And that is the string of pearls. And watch for the folks that are they're wearing string of pearls, especially the very first woman in the very beginning in the cold open. She's wearing pearls. It is, an, it is a, a signature accessory of the 1950s. Well, I have... I have- I have a I have a theory about this then in terms of your in terms of your aesthetic. So when remind me again like so so the they all go into Mount Weather in what year like two thousand like twenty fifty two is when the bombs okay, drop. So we're assuming okay. that that is the year. Okay, so you know how like right now the aesthetic with like the cool hip fashion hipsters is like to do like really ugly like eighties and nineties stuff. <laughs> like, what if the reason oh for the 1950s aesthetic is when the bombs dropped, 1950s was like the cool, chic thing to be like retroing and calling back to? Like, that's what the thrift stores were being emptied of. So, like, yeah, but but I don't think any that we're talking a century old clothes, right? So, I don't think I don't think the thrift stores are going to be having. I don't know. We got this we stuff got around. the fucking steampunk people with their like eighteen hundred shit. Like, who's to say they, that you know they make that in twenty fifty two? You know that that the aesthetic isn't going to be nineteen uh, fifties. Like, what if what if it's the hipsters? Well, I think, I mean, even going above and beyond the aesthetic, if, if you look at Mount Weather, it looks perfect and idyllic, but it harbors the dark secret that everyone in Mount Weather is complicit with as they drain the grounders of their blood. So basically in 1950s, if you were a white American, life was pretty good for you. But if you were a black American, life was pretty shitty for you. We had segregated bathrooms, segregated water fountains, segregated schools, segregated, you know, uh, uh, school buses. I mean... You know, there was an under there was an undercurrent of something very wrong going on in society that the white picket fences and the suburbia and the pearls around the neck and the perfect hair and the perfect suits and dresses, you would never know looking at these people that they were complicit in this thing going on in society. And then of course we've got the also also the other parallel between Mount Weather and 1950s is that nuclear threat. There's always that radiation threat that the folks in Mount Weather have to deal with, um, with any sort of containment breach. That's what the woman at the very beginning, when, when Clark spins around and she's looking into the meal hall and she's like, what the fuckity fuck? The woman in her string of pearls points at her and is like containment breach. So, so radiation is a big, is a big thing there. Um, and you know, I don't mean to be crass and compare the racial divide, 
in America during its history to like how the grounders are treated. I, I don't, I, I don't mean to make draw a parallel there. I mean to draw a parallel in that there's this unspoken, you know, us versus them type of thing. Um, because I, you know, I, I, I don't think it's, it's, even though that, you know, it, I, I just don't want to be like, oh yeah. So the whole racial thing going on in the 1950s, the grounders totally represent that. I don't, I don't mean to be crass because I think the racial strife in this country back then and now, I don't want to compare it because I think it's, it's crass to do so. Um, I, I don't think it's represented in the same way in the hundred. So I just want to make that clear that I'm not trying to be insensitive about it, but I just, you know, that's, that's my thing about the 1950s American history and kind of how the, the aesthetic is weird. And then the, the thematic, um, parallels to the fifties are there. I just think it, I don't know if it was deliberate, but it, it just feels like something had to happen where a conversation took place in that, what is a perfect, what is a perfect society look like? And if you, if you're an American and the writers are, are mainly American, they're like, well, in the 1950s, that was, that was the society that, that, that people who, who pined for the good old days, that's what they pined for. Right or wrong, that's what they pine for. So that's, well, that's my, it, my spiel. Well, and it's kind of perfect then because there was, there was that dark undercurrent is that it wasn't actually so idyllic. And so I think it was definitely a very easy, um, you know, aesthetic for them to choose. Yeah. Like you wouldn't, you wouldn't choose the 1930s and the sixties are all crazy, you know, and counterculture in the seventies, you know, and then shit gets kind of weird in the eighties and I don't know. Nineties had flannel just, and grunge. And neon. Um, yeah. Oh, you know, yeah, so it's, it's just neon. a whole thing. Like, what are they going to do? Like, how are you going to get frosted tips, uh, you know, in Mount weather? So, um, yeah, yeah I, mean, I think, I think the fifties is, is the obvious choice. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, like the, the, the threats of society back then, like you had this looming nuclear threat, but it, but it was, it was over there. It was, it was something that wasn't tangible or realized like it is a horrible, horrible thing to think about getting nuclear bomb dropped on you. But, but it's kind of like a, a separate, like, you know, an abstract type of thing. That's the word I was looking for. But it was, um, it's not abstract for Mount Weather at all. No, like at it, any point that door could open and it does. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's, that is the point. Yeah. That you do have a point. Well, it but wasn't like, really abstract in the cold war either. I mean, they came close a oh my couple God, of they times, came cl- oh my God. <laughs> at nuclear- least twice, one time in Berlin and one time in Cuba. Yeah. The they Cuba came pretty crisis. fucking close. We were close so close to being fucking bombed to off actually the earth, happening. Yes. So if, if, if you're, if you're not familiar with American history and familiar with the cold war, the, the world came very close to ending a couple times and that should scare the fucking shit out of you. I mean, I know we live in a society now where every, something awful happens every single day. You know, if it's not terrorism, um, it's mass shootings, it's black black guys getting killed by cops, it's cops getting slaughtered. I mean, there's some really horrible shit going on. But the world almost ended, you know, a couple times because of the military and, you know, and struggle in ideals between communism and democracy between the U.S. and and the USSR. So scary stuff, you know, fucking world is crazy at all points in time, (laughs) not just now. Yeah. So that's my, we live in relatively peaceful times, by the way. I just want to mention. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, relatively peaceful when you think about 
the quantity of people getting killed, but the horrificness yeah. of and the media attention that things get nowadays. It's like every everything's everybody's dying. Everything's ending. Yeah, I mean, social media and other media and the existence of internet, it makes it because everything is in spotlight and everything is, you know, blows up, goes viral. So we feel like a lot of shit is going down. But actually, if you think about it, far fewer people are being hurt today than they were uh, 50 years ago. So, yeah. Could you imagine if if social media were around during the Cuban Missile Crisis? People would have lost their shit. I wanted to get into other the other world building moments, so I wanted to talk. You know, Joe, talk about you like Jaha in the the desert. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, it, it's it's less about like I, I guess it's more like environmental world building. Like, yeah, I like that too. I thought I, I like the different look to it. Yeah, like all of a sudden, a like we hadn't. I don't think we had met other grounders at that point. Like, we only knew who essentially tree crew. Those were the only grounders. Like, we we don't know that there are 12 tribes. We don't know any of that yet. And so the fact that there's, like, these desert nomads, um, you know, with, like, where the where parents go to raise their mutant children, um, <laughs> you know, I think that was, that was super cool. And we did find out that was, like, the first, like, hint dropping of the City of Light, and we had no idea what that was. I, I really like that. And in terms of like a, a visual sort of thing, and this is sort of like totally random, but when Jaha sort of opens his eyes and he has uh, the, the, he's holding on to the little um, chess figurine, the black, the black knight. Um, it really reminded me of the black stallion, which I don't know if any of you guys ever watched as a kid. Uh, where a boy wakes up from a shipwreck and he has a tiny little um, oh, horse figurine. Um, that and it rings was a bell, of, yeah. It was of uh, Alexander's horse. Um, shit, what is the name of that horse? Uh, starts with a B. Anyway, I'm a terrible person Black, for not remembering. Black, Stalli- Black Stallion? Could that be? Okay. <sighs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so like he like wait this boy like wakes up in the sand and he just kind of like has one eye open and he's kind of like he's all parched as well and covered in dried sand. He's like looking at this little tiny horse figurine. Um, so that actually just it, it warmed my heart because that was like yeah. a really favorite movie of mine. Um, and actually, a lot of TV shows and music videos have been referencing the Black Stallion lately. I don't know if you guys caught the uh, the horse episode of Bob's Burgers, um, but they basically did like a shot for shot and like reuse the original score and there's a music video that also has like some clips from the movie apparently this kid riding a horse through the surf is like the most iconic thing ever existing but anyway i just really liked um that we got to see that there is more than just forest on the east coast i don't know how manhattan ended up becoming a desert if only because most of manhattan is actually on a on bedrock um, and not sand and soil, but that's a separate issue, I guess, of well, actually. Um, <laughs> Look at you getting all geological with us. I don't know. Like, I'm sure, I'm sure someone on the subreddit will, will actually, well, actually me, actually me and be like, no, but there would be sand. Wouldn't uh, all the skyscrapers turn into sand? Would they though? Like how, like, know. what do you mean? Well, like being vaporized? A, they made a steel, not steel. And I don't know, like what the, the concrete? external... Like concrete. I mean, yeah, but this was like yellow right? sand. Yeah. Anyway, I, I, anyway, I absolutely love, love, love the dead zone. Like, I, I, love, see it again. I love it. The all this, all everything, all things the dead zone. I love it. The <laughs> stunning visuals. I love the atmosphere. Everything changes. Everything becomes so mythological and so 
different. And I love the whole Zoran Sienna story. And it's just great. All the、I'm、stuff、seven. about the outcasts and the city of light being foreshadowed. And it's just yeah, I want to see more of the dead zone too. And like what kind of like people it has. Because I'm sure there are a lot of people, like not a lot of people, but like surely that was not the only family and the only like bandits that, you know, bought Jaha. Like I'm sure that there are people out there、yeah. living in this desert. And where are they? What's their story? Yeah. I wonder if they're the sand crew. Oh, maybe. But like they didn't, they seemed very, like, especially with like the, you know, with having like the, mu- the mutated face. I don't think that. Right. No, I mean there are there are the outcasts, and then there's the、um, the desert clan. I think that's a separate clan. I kind of、yeah. have a, a suspicion that the desert clan lives in that、uh, quarantine zone that they they show in the intro sequence. Maybe we'll get to see that in season four. Huh. We can only hope. So the quarantine so sh- zone is located in the desert too. I wonder why that. I wonder where that's located though, and like why why it would get that way. Yeah, because we're not going to go far west, and in the in the south, the Midwest and the East, there aren't no deserts. You got to、yeah, well, get to Texas before you start well, running into deserts. We don't know how far all of the clans extend. Like I don't think. Yeah, that's that, the weird thing. Like, yeah, they're not supposed think, to extend very far. They're all supposed to be in that region. Yeah, I don't think we go anywhere close to being west of the Mississippi. Like in terms yeah, like, of no. Like, do you think it goes like how far south to, down do you think it goes? Do you think it like includes Florida Man? No, just that、exactly. plan that oh my god, alligators and, and 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 smokes bath salts and like eats people's faces off <laughs> and like、Turns、gets into naked fights at Walmart <laughs> around a Walmart. Oh my god! And then like whoever that is is the person that they need to like help them survive the next like nuclear meltdowns. Like that he's actually like <laughs> it's Florida Man, si- like Florida Man. So it's Eugene basically. Yes, it's Eugene totally from Eugene. Walking Dead. Oh、yeah. my God, that'd be great. I would love to see that.、Um, so, Shaheen, let's get into some of your favorite world-building moments.、Um, all right. So I talked about the Dead Zone.、Um, I want to briefly mention the、uh, position of Arcadia as we're building this world and is expanding. So Arcadia is、uh, Alpha Station, and I think part of Mecha Station it falls down. It's About an hour southwest of the dropship,、uh, an hour walk, so it can't、mm. be more than ten miles. And the dropship itself is, of course, twenty miles away from Mount Weather,、um, to the northeast of it. The dropship and Arcadia are both kind of twenty、uh, miles from Mount Weather and about forty miles from Tondi Sea. Isn't it really convenient just how close all of these things manage to happen to、yeah. one another? Well, they kind of aimed it. They aimed it in that direction. But yeah, because、yeah. if you recall, like they had a window of opportunity to hit the eastern United States. Yeah,、um, but that's、otherwise. still a pretty big place, like eastern United States.、Eh. Like, yeah, I mean the rest of、uh, yeah. the arc fell in other places, but yeah, it's kind of convenient, kind of lucky that the、uh, all the characters that we know at this point they ended up very close. Look, it's、yeah. what it's how it look. It's how it makes the thing, the world go round. There's、yeah. no other way to do it. Yeah, and I love the Tan D C. The introduction of Tan D C. It's not being mentioned by name yet, but we see the Lincoln Memorial.、Um, yeah, that was cool. 
it's great and it's overgrown it's so daunting that image and i love trigger wrestling um it's awesome david j peterson is great and uh, i he never responded to my tweet like i sent he, him a tweet he, asking right, so about here, he, you have to ask him on tumblr he's not gonna oh, he, he's pretty busy though answer. he gets a shit ton of stuff from people yeah but she had a good question about the how can, the the language now yeah you might as well i mean to see what I, see what people think Okay, so and, and it's actually answer. even it's even more relevant now in terms of now that we've also met people from Mount Weather. So why is it that the English language, like I'm already accepting that you know the grounders can have their own language, like that's fine. But why is it that the English language spoken between the grounders, Sky Crew, and Mount Weather has not diverged in a hundred years? Like not that they wouldn't be able to understand each other, but think about the fact that if I went back in time a hundred years. I'm going to use different words um, that slang is going to have evolved. Is it is it the fact that they don't have mass media, like, speeding up their sort of language evolution? Or, like, I, or you know, are they like France, where no new words are allowed? Like, <laughs> I don't understand how yeah, they maybe, all speak the same English. Maybe their societies are too small to, like, organically create slang. I don't. I, don't I know, think like- that um, this is mostly just because it would have been really difficult to get all the actors to speak a whole other language for like the entirety of the time. I mean, I mean, obviously, like the the sky crew, they use float to mean go kill yourself. Yeah, there are yourself. some things that have changed. Like, like Mount Weather wouldn't understand that context, but but I think Joe is right. Right, like there's no new new words. There's no new slang. Everybody speaks the same version of English again. Yeah. I guess that's probably a well actually, and that might be a good question for for uh, David J. Peterson. I think he already answered this. Uh, I've seen him talk about this, and he said that um, they, it, realistically, it should have changed more, but um, it's just Budget. what's that? Budget budget constraints. Well, no, it's, it's, it's just it's more. It's, it's such a small detail that it's not worth the effort. Yeah, it's, just like, it's so salient to me. Like hmm. for me, it's well, like you're a freak. That's fair. <laughs> um, yeah, but in terms so, of how trigger slang could change, could, how English could evolve into trigger slang so quickly, I think uh, the answer is supposed to be that because of um, because life expectancy dropped so drastically after mm-hmm. the bombs, um, basically, like people are barely living beyond their twenties or thirties. So it's basically like everything is evolving four times faster uh, than than it is now. So um, <laughs> it's like the happy fifteen hundreds over all over again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and there is like all the institutions have been destroyed, education and everything that preserves culture and language has been destroyed. So things are evolving a lot faster. But um, well, and that explains it's- why it's not hasn't evolved so quickly on the arc and in Mount Weather because they still have the institutions and because they still live to the to the old age so that things um have more inertia. Um but again realistically you're right. It they yeah. those languages also should have evolved a little a little bit more than they actually did. Just, but, just yeah. a little bit. Just a little bit. Yeah. yeah. All right. So without well we've just alienated Danny out of our <laughs> podcast and anyone else in the UK. Great. Well, yeah, I'm sorry. 
I think that Sorry. you should just do Sorry, an offensive, chap. an offensive, uh, just Fuck butchering of an accent everybody. every episode. <laughs> oh, you know what? Yeah, you know what? Fuck North Dakota. I was gonna, I was gonna, intru- I was gonna do a fake apology to North Dakota for my horrible North Dakota accent last time. <laughs> but then I looked at our podcast stats, and nobody from North Dakota listens to us. So fuck well, you, so- North Dakota. All three All right. of you. All three of y'all with your snow and casseroles and shit. Um, <laughs> so let's ice get fishing. Ice fishing. And hockey. Hey, hockey's okay. I like hockey. <laughs> I'm from Chicago. And I got your yaws. Hawks, so. And your... My, my what? My yaws? North Dakota. Yaw. Oh, yeah. 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 Not Dakota. North Dakota. Go Why are we Dakota. hating on North Dakota? Because we have no listeners from there. So oh, okay. fuck you, North Dakota. We're like the only people we can't <laughs> offend. <laughs> fuck North Dakota. <laughs> Let's get on the fuck North Dakota train, everybody. Do they have trains in North Dakota? <laughs> I don't even know if they have electricity up there. Come on now. <laughs> oh, God. It's All actually right, so- the region with the lowest unemployment right now. Oil. Oil, baby. Oil. Yeah. Yeah, that uh, dinosaur juice is really making things go around for the next 50 years or so, and then we're going to see the bottom drop out. Oh, celebrate while you can, Saudi Arabia. <laughs> All right, I just made Saudi Arabia hate me now, too. That's a little bit more dangerous than North Dakota. All right, so let's get into our favorite character arcs in evolution. Um, MVP. MVP. Yeah, and if you have an MVP, I just I think we all kind of... I think I finally like figured out in these these four episodes that Clark has zero chill, and she's like the number one tryhard of all tryhards. That's basically who Clark is. She's a tryhard. So maybe that's why I like her so much. Because when I play video games, I'm a real big tryhard, and for some reason, trying hard at things is de- derisive and something to be insulted upon in video games. But yeah, she has zero chill. I love it. I think the reason why we like her so much in season two and then in season three, we're like, wah, wah on Clark is because she has so much agency and she takes so much initiative in season two. Like, again, this goes back to my point of she doesn't fucking care about being called a leader or a title. She just goes and gets shit done. And she does. She makes a lot of decisions for everybody and everybody kind of goes along with her. Um, And in season three, she like, eh. I'm just going to hang around a polis for a while and like maybe try assassinating Naya. Oh, that didn't work. And then like, she just doesn't have a lot of agency in season three um, for, for the most part. So I really love how she develops in season two. She becomes, she be, she like blossoms into her full dark Clark self. What do you guys, who do you like in the, in uh, some of the character arcs in season two, these first four episodes? I mean, we already kind of talked about Finn and Bellamy, so I'll, yeah. I'll talk about. Um, I really liked uh, the dynamic between Clark and Anya. Um, <laughs> we had a conversation about this one. <laughs> yeah, like I, I really like. Well, first of all, I like Anya. Like you already talked about Clark, I like Anya. I think knowing that that Lexa was Anya's second, and that Anya is kind of like, all right, 
like once once they get into a fist fight and there's mud everywhere and whatever, um, Anya kind of coming around to like, okay, maybe we could try an alliance with Sky Crew. Like maybe, you know, this is something that I could at least take back to my commander. But I will say that my MVP for all these episodes though is Anya's eye roll. Like every <laughs> single time she's hanging out with Clark, like the camera just like lands on her for a second and her eyes are like in the back of her head. And it's so good. Like she plays it so well. And so I'm actually like, I'm sad we lost Anya. Like that was such a, that was a character that honestly, I kind of, I liked Anya more than Wells. If we're talking about dead characters that I wish were still around. And like, I feel like there was a lot of growth options there, but I think that they're the fist fight um, that they had where, I don't know if I buy that Clark would have gotten the drop on Anya and actually won that, but I really kind of like the look of like, all right, you punched me in the face a bunch of times. I guess, <laughs> I guess we're cool and I respect you now. Like, I think, I think I liked that Clark sort of met Anya on a level that Anya understood, which was punching each other in the face. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, like she only- now we're cool. She gains respect for Clark once because she fought well. So that's yeah. that's always um yeah. that's consistent grounder attitude. Yeah. Good now, job, now, Clark. Now about getting the drop on Anya, you gotta remember that Anya's coming out of a drug haze, right? She she was tranked by, by Clark, so she's still wobbly on her feet. And she's yeah, also she's Clark been drained for her blood. Up. Was she drained? Did we know that like that's what happened to her? No, she wasn't. She wasn't drained yet because I think when they drain you, they kill you and they give you to the Reapers. I think what I think, she was probably suffering from was pro- malnutrition. They, I don't think they like fed the grounders that were in the cages. I think they drain you sense. multiple times before uh, before well, you might. become useless. Yeah, I think she had like she yeah, had- she was wearing the she was wearing the drainage underwear. So I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, didn't she have marks on her arms and stuff? Uh, that I can't she remember. She's just yeah. so, dirty. So Clark won because Anya was woozy. That I mean, that is more believable. And, and, she was and Clark weak. is yeah. Clark is a you know Clark is a tryhard too. Plus she fought dirty. It was great when she like yeah. in a fight that, there is no fight. She had dirty. she had pocket sand and threw it in Anya's eyes. It was awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, in a in a in a fight to the death, there is no fighting dirty. You punch and grab and I kind kick, of didn't kick know Mads in. The first time, I didn't know if Clark was going to kill Anya. Like, that's kind of, like, why I liked yeah. Clark's evolution is all of a sudden you're like, shit, is she going to kill her? And then you're like, oh, no, 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 no. Like, Clark <laughs> Clark is going to make, like, the rational choice here. But, like, the very first time watching it, and, like, my friend who watched it with us and she's watching it for the first time was like, shit, is she going to kill her? Because she was going to kill her. She was yeah. going to. The she was going to kill her until she saw that weather balloon. Yeah, the balloon saved Anya. <laughs> Yeah, Clark wasn't gonna go all full knife you in the face. But then yeah. I'm like, like she she raises the knife and then she sees the balloon and then she puts the fucking knife on the ground and I'm like, what are, what you, are doing? you doing? <laughs> like she's just gonna stab you now. Like, <laughs> how stupid is that? Are we besties now? <laughs> <laughs> or is she just like, all right, now that I beat her, she, she's gonna respect me now? I don't know. Uh, so uh, like maybe Clark knew that they were cool. Like, we're no. cool now, right? So, Shaheen, what do you think about this idea? Because Joe and I were talking about it earlier on Skype chat. Uh-huh. Uh, a buddy cop show <laughs> with Anya and Clark as, like, the buddy cops. Who's the sidekick? Is Clark you don't need the sidekick? A sidekick. 
No, they're like they're like both partners. They're like detectives or something. And Clark okay. is the try-hard serious one who's always like, ah. And then Anya's the eye-rolly one and is like, ah. And then Lexa is their commander who's like, you too. Come on. In my office. <laughs> that would be the best show. <laughs> yeah. And Bellamy is like the hot cop that like they like trust for information and stuff, but like sometimes he fucks up and then they have to clean up his mess and like <laughs> Raven Raven is basically Q and so she's like coming up with gadgets and shit. Like I mean I'd be really into it. No, no, like Raven and Monty would totally be Fitzsimmons. Huh? No? Raven Am I the only one who watches Agents of Shield? I'm trying to picture them as Fitzsimmons. I mean not romantic Fitzsimmons. There, there's nothing other than romantic Fitzsimmons. I don't know My what bad. you're talking about. Those two Who go is- together like peas and carrots. Great. Now Who's- I'm like sitting here thinking about Fitzsimmons. <sighs> Who's your Speaking favorite? Of- Wait, what? I get them confused, to be honest with you. <laughs> They're the same. Wait, what were you going to say, Shaheen? Oh, sorry. I was going to say, speaking of Anya dying, um, I think that's another... Um, isn't that what makes the show great? Like... Um, characters that you would think um, that you become invested in actually die. I think that's great. Yeah, but it sucks when it's like somebody you really, really like and want to see more of. It's like, oh, but that's otherwise it's just it's just like any other. Like it's just the same old like yeah, side characters, unimportant characters die. But this is like this is what makes it great. Side unimportant characters die. How dare you? Like on on other shows, like. Oh, the claim oh, to be like, like as you know, we're talking about being high stakes. I think this is what what it means, right? If if no character, even uh, at the level of Anya, died, then it wouldn't be a high stakes show. Yeah, sure, why though- can't they kill like ja- oh? Why can't they kill somebody like Jaha? Sorry, Danny. <laughs> Jahad, the Jahad. Hey, Dan is not the people. only uh, advocate well, who, of Jaha here. Okay, is it, who is it? Dumbo? <laughs> Shaheen is a Jaha apologist. The Jahal, Jahaholic. Jahaholic. That, work. that did not <laughs> like work that. out too well, did it? Not your best work, Jenny. Not your Thanks. best work. Oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> die. So, so Shaheen, what, what, what about you? Like, what I see, I see something you enjoy the the high heel breaking. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what are your feelings on very the symbolic? Um, the Clark breaking the high heel is very symbolic. Like, um, you know, like, oh, fuck these shoes, dude. Wait, what? How is it symbolic? Yeah. You know, like uh, women breaking the bounds of shit. Look tradition at you with the feminist, and whatever with the feminist, feminist commentary. Yeah, but look, but was it though? Like, because that's not really the environment that they were raised in. Like but, she, no, 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 she wasn't. Look at her. Look at the wardrobe as she opens it, which was fucking retarded. It was fucking ridiculous. Like, like total like 1950s dress. Doll yourself up and come yeah. to dinner. Creepy Arlo Givens with uh with your wardrobe. Yeah, I uh, Shaheen with the feminist commentary. I like it. <laughs> yeah, I like that. So I hey, I like the Raven Murphy sequence too, Shaheen. Like. Yeah, Raven was gonna shoot his balls off. Come on! I like how like she doesn't give up. She she like pulls the trigger a bunch of times, hoping that maybe there's still a bullet left. That's Fuck awesome. you into infinity, Murphy. But yeah. I like I like that Murphy was like I would have shot me too, and like he knows that he's the villain. Like he yeah. 
I think we were talking about this with 12 Monkeys. Um, was it 12 Monkeys? No, it was uh, Outlander. With, Outlander, uh, right. Uh, yeah, with uh, Blackjack. Uh, Blackjack Randall. Yeah, like a character who like knows that they are shitty, that they are a shitty person. Yeah. Um, and that yeah. like it's it's not an intentional thing to be shitty to other people, but just like this thing that they are. And so he recognizes it. He's like, yeah, man, I would have fucking shot me too. Like, yeah. that's yeah. cool. Murphy is the most self-aware character. <laughs> yeah, he kind of is. He kind of is. Um, I'd like to just give a little shout out to Kane. I know I kind of like every single every single podcast. I kind of just like Kane is so great. But um, as far as his like evolution and character development, you see him like you see him because he's aware of the dangers around them. Strictly go by the Exodus Charter because he thinks it's going to protect them. If they follow the rules and they make sure that everything's secure and nobody breaks the rules and so you know, sweet, so naive. Yeah, send, you know, doesn't gun traffic in guns and whatnot. And then he has to shock lash Abby. And then he kind of breaks. Um does he and break? Oh yes, he does like after he does that, you could watch his face during that scene where he's just like shock lash Abby. Again. Well, again. You it, can just kind of see him just like Yeah. This is not who I fucking want to be. And then after that, that's when he's like, here's the fucking chancellorship. I'm going to go make peace and plant a tree. I don't think it's a turning point for him, though. I I don't think it's it's the decision. It's the decision point, basically. Like, this is a guy who who he was kind of always going to be, but the tipping point was what he had to do to Abby. Okay, I disagree. I think the tipping point was obviously the culling. And then at this point, I mean, it was explained very well that like he just he came to the conclusion that he had to do this under somewhat under the influence of Major Byrne, you know, and, and and I actually I support his decision. What else do you think? Like, do you, so what do you think he should have done? Just let it go? Because come on. I mean, Abby had it coming. I mean, she just breaks laws oh, God, left and Abby. right. Like that's, you griffin, can't do that. You can't do. just. What's that? That's what the Griffins do. There should be like the Exodus well, Charter and then the Griffin Charter. <laughs> like who does she else. think she is? She just goes around, frees prisoners, gives them she's, guns. She is Abby Goddamn Griffin, sir. Like that's who she is. You can't do that. You have to accept the consequences. And and the uh, camp was on the knife's edge. <clears throat> it was you know people were going crazy. So some. He felt like Kane felt like there were some deterrence was was needed. So he he shocklashed the woman of his dreams. I mean he, that's some that's not some, his dreams that's yet. Some, <laughs> he likes her yet? I think oh, I think it's Maybe it simmers her, it know. simmers a long time. Yeah. I mean yeah these these two these two you know you can you can see it. And also like um did did you notice that Abby is basically. Uh, partially responsible for the Ton DC massacre because the only thing that what? came out of the only thing that came out of arming these delinquents and sending them off to find Clark and the rest was the Ton DC massacre and they saved Mel so oh I, I I'm sorry I got confused between the bomb Ton DC bomb and the massacre yeah I mean uh that's that uh, we're gonna like, nothing no, good I'm, came I'm out of that so no, Abby no, no. was wrong about uh, that I'm ejecting and, out of this, ejecting out of this conversation, ejecting, because this is getting into the whole, guns don't kill people, people kill people, debate <laughs> that I don't, thanks for making this a political podcast now, Shaheen. 
But I think that in terms of like um, mm. one of the themes of this show is the um, complexity of the chain of consequences that uh, yeah. follow from each action. One of the examples is, is Abby arming the delinquents that, you know, in a chain of consequences leads to Finn massacring um, people in Ton DC. Another example is that I really like is, um, you know, how Wick is playing with helium and that gives Raven the idea for a helium balloon. That that pisses <laughs> oh off Major Burn. Uh, so she also, she authorizes shoot on sight because of the helium balloon. Uh, and that the helium balloon is also why Clark finds Arcadia and brings Anya with her, uh, and which is why Anya dies. The the combination of shoot on sight policy and the um, the fact that Anya was there uh, is why Anya dies. So like all of these, this cascade of consequences is very interesting. I, I do think it's that the show does kind of well with that. I, I'm I, like, I just, my mind is blown a little by what you just said. <laughs> the, nice. the show does a really good job of like this, then this, then this. And it's like a train of like little, it's, it's the butterfly. I hate that. The yeah. butterfly effect where like, you're not paying attention to these things. And then when they all happen, you're like, well, so the balloon saved Anya's life, but then it actually killed her. Yeah. Good and job. Let's just, balloon. let's just fucking balloon. Let's, let's blame Wick. <laughs> we'll just blame Wick for this. Aww, Which is like potentially very important because Anya was going to go um, talk to... Talk to Lexa. Talk to Lexa, yeah. So. And be like, maybe we should have peace. And just kidding. Yeah. In um, like two seconds, so the whole <laughs> hopes are shattered. <laughs> I feel like that's what season two is, actually. Season two is hope, 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 shatter, shatter, shatter. Yeah. Like every sing- like one after the other after the other. Um, yeah. I think season- that's what season two feels And season like. three is just like shatter, 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 shatter. Yeah, there's no hope. (laughs) There's no hope even at the end. It's like, like according to my calculations, there's no hope. That's that's just season three. (laughs) Well, it's like shatter, 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 and then let's just grind everything into dust so you can never even pretend to put it back together. That's what that's what season three felt like. Um, Another theme that that come that comes up here is um, how like sometimes people's attempts are successful and sometimes they're not. And I really like that. Like when Raven is trying to um, climb the the mast or whatever it is, I was really thinking that she was going to make it and it would be like, yes, she did it. But no, she just, she takes like two steps and she can't, which is realistic. But um, also like regardless of whether it's realistic or not, it just, that's what makes the show great because you never know if this, they're going to be successful or not. Um, So when they are successful, it actually means something as opposed to, you know, the characters always, you know, having, there's always like a baddest moment saving it at the last minute, you know? So Anya's death is also another example of that. It's like, yep. Sometimes nothing comes out of it. (laughs) Is it, is it not a little sexist that, that Raven can't do a pull up though? Cause here's the thing, like, we know that the actress can do pull-ups. Like, why can't Raven the character be a girl who can, like, pull up her own wa- body weight, like, to the top of, of a tower? Like, why why was that not an option? I totally see what you're saying, where it's like, no, she doesn't magically get to, like, do everything that she wants to do with her leg brace. But, like, damn, couldn't she do a pull-up? <laughs> I don't know. No? Could you? Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah, that's that's the point. Be able to do at least one pull-up. Preferably more. That's 
Okay. I don't know. Like, I just, I kind of expected Raven to, like, okay, whatever. Pull out the gunship. Right. <laughs> Crossfit okay. Jesus. I'll take it. Whatever. <clears throat> now, that's, that is a term reserved for Seth Rollins. Um, all right. So, can I say a quick some, thing about Jaha and the, and the baby on the ark? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That weird ass. Jaha and the not baby? Yeah. The... Jaha on basalt, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like how the, I don't know if you guys noticed, but the um, baby, um, the way the, the baby's reactions are basically a reflection of Jaha's own mindset. Like, Wait, what? Yeah, like throughout. Babies don't have reactions to things other than staring at shit until it leaves their their plane of sight. <laughs> no, uh, even like long before we we realize that it's an illusion. When the baby cries, that's when Jaha is worried, and when the baby is calm, that's when Jaha finds a solution. Like as soon as he, like when he decides, the baby is crying the whole time until he decides to uh, finally save himself and go to the ground, and then the baby quiets down. And then when uh, there is a point where um, he feels like um, they, I don't remember exactly what happens, but he feels like his plan is not going to work. And then the baby starts crying again. Um, or, or I think it's when he finds that, that shattered uh, helmet. That's when the baby starts crying again. And so it's really great. Like the baby is a reflection of Jaha's mind. I like that. And and why didn't he just figure it out then? That like, hey, this is not <laughs> yeah, real. It's not and clearly it's just an extension there. of my psyche. Come on. Damn it, Jaha. Yeah. Oh man, Jaha. And the chess piece, did you guys notice the uh the chess set in season one that said uh that said Wells Jaha on it? Yeah. Yeah, so that's where the chess piece is coming from. Yeah, yeah. No, I that's I assume that's where it where it yeah. came from. It was it was Wells' chest. So he should have figured it out <laughs> because it's like, well, this is clearly This is a lot of symbolism. Yeah. <laughs> I, I get that the oxygen's low, but this feels a little heavy handed. Yeah. I feel like we're going deep this uh this podcast. I hope people are appreciating how smart we think we are. <laughs> <laughs> So let's get into, I want to skip to the interesting tidbits, tomfoolery and shenanigans. I, I added this to the run sheet because I just think sometimes there's just some fun things to, to say about the show. So um, I think something that, uh, something that Joe always points out is that there is tons of great earth cleavage for the Griffin women. <laughs> Jesus. She, she makes me like. look. <laughs> oh, I make you look. We are not watching together. We are not live chatting while we are watching together. Those eyeballs on those boobs is all you. And then another one. You're I the love. gay one, Joe. <laughs> I mean, are you not watching the boobs? Like, let's just. We're all Who's watching not? the boobs at this point. I'm a I straight Guys, male, so I watch the boobs. But Jen, <laughs> Jenny, the, Jenny, watching the boobs. That's you. That's all you, Joe. The, oh, it's my fault. That's I'm, on I'm, you. I'm <laughs> so wait, 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 wait. So, so the gay is like spreading. Like, why can't you just spread your like yeah, you're heterosexuality? Making, you're like, why can't you gay. spread your lug of boobs? <laughs> All right. So, uh, as a counterpoint to that, I love I low key love Nico. He's just sex on a stick. We've already talked about that. The other thing I want to talk about, <laughs> Abby, is the fucking. <laughs> grimiest doctor in the history of doctors. She's basically the- Theodoric of York, medieval barber. And if you're How not familiar not with who died? that is, 
that's that's a skit on old school 70s SNL featuring Steve Martin. But she is so fucking grimy. Like, how, how have people, people just not died dead? of infection? Like, I get on the arc, like, she probably <clears throat> sterilized, whatever, but, like, damn, like, how has no one died of infection? Like, that is the biggest well, actually, for this entire show. Like, everyone should be dead now with, like, festering <laughs> wounds. Just, like, gangrene and, like... It smells uh, like almonds everywhere. Staph infection and just, like, just sh- just shit falling off their shit, you know? Yeah. I you know, suspension of disbelief, I guess. Like she's the only doctor. What are you gonna do? A gentleman's hands are never dirty. I don't get that reference. So it it goes back to um I can't remember the guy's name. Uh he was actually the one who suggested the doctors start washing their hands between patients. Um and it was at a maternity hospital. I know like I have these Semmelweis? references and I, I don't possibly? Yeah, um, ignore ignore Semmelweis? Yeah. I know his last name was whole- Semmelweis. The whole thing being, well, doctors shouldn't have to wash their hands because a gentleman's hands are never dirty. Meanwhile, you know, you deliver a baby and then go deliver another baby and then, both, you know, everyone dies of sepsis. Um, yeah, so, you deliver a baby, go to the bathroom, touch your dick, deliver another baby. Just shit every, just tons yeah. of germs everywhere. Actually, they it's came fine. from, they came from dissection lessons. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. Are, they went from dead bodies to yeah. them delivering babies. <laughs> So that's fine. You know, you die of leprosy and, uh, you know, yeah. now we have a baby. It's full circle. And then, uh, Joe, I think we've kind of discussed some of your, your interesting tidbits. Uh, yeah, Shaheen, you don't like Mel hanging off of that cliff. I don't Why? like that. What is that about? Like, how many times do we have to see this? How many fucking ropes <laughs> have to snap? <laughs> like... Seriously, like how many movies have you? What is that? It's like a total waste of time in episode four, and nothing comes out of it. Mel is not an important character. Nothing happens. The only thing that happens (laughs) in that stupid cliffhanger (laughs) sequence is that um, Bellamy comes to trust Murphy because he kind of saved his life. Yeah, but but, like, but it, it also furthers like, the more moral flipping of Finn and, and Bellamy because Finn's like, "Fuck that girl, we got to go get Clark," and Bellamy's like, "We're not leaving her." So yeah, there, that it does serve her. some purpose. And what's okay, the, two, two, what's two up with the with stupid that, knots? Like, why is why is no one watching knots. the rope? Like, it's just <laughs> like have you have these people and they haven't watched movies on the arc like with ropes snapping out all the time. It's just I don't know. I, I think well, Pike did a really bad job on his, his Earth Skills rope tying shit. <laughs> Why didn't they send down Monroe? Like, Monroe weighs the least. Why would you not send the lightest weight person down? Meanwhile, they send, like, Bellamy, who weighs the most out of everyone. Yeah. And then, like, leave, like, the scrawny people up top to, like, try to pull him up with their terrible, like, knots that are not in any way sound. Like, there's a lot of things that I have with that cliffhanger scene. It just yeah. felt really kind of unnecessary. But I get what yeah, you're saying with, like, character growth, blah, contrived. blah, blah. But I'm like, couldn't they have done, like, something else? I don't know. Yeah. I uh, do like the way grounders shake hands, though. <laughs> like, the way they grab, like, the middle of your arm. It's the forearm handshake. Did you not watch Xena? No. I think we no, already I established that. I, I thought watch we Xena. established this, and then we tried I to know, head cannon. The- we, had, we tried to head cannon ourselves oh, yeah, the into Shaheen watching Xena, and we, couldn't, <laughs> right. we just couldn't conceive of it. I forget these things. Thank you for reminding me. Um, I, I, feel like, I feel like that handshake is like, 
handshake of don't they do it? it they did it in Game of Thrones. Um Spoiler alert, everyone, season six, mute yourselves right now. Um, with uh Daenerys and uh Yara, they did the the four. Oh, yeah, 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 they did. So I think I think it's just now, like the 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 technologically unadvanced people. I think that that's like the like old timey medieval handshake. Excuse <laughs> me, but wouldn't that handshake be more hygienic than how we shake be. hands? It would be. Yeah, I hate shaking people's hands now because it's like I yeah, I don't know what you've done with your hands. Like, you've gone to the bathroom and you didn't wash your hands. I know you didn't because statistically you probably didn't, you gross-ass person. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> I would rather shake hands that way. I would rather just not touch another human being I'm not familiar with when I meet them. Um, that you would be should, nice, too. You should do that handshake, though, and it'll be really weird when people are going for a normal one and you're leaning in further. Uh, it'll be <laughs> it'll be great. I, I hope that you do. Do you not want of think of like- or the 100? <laughs> Every time a, a grounder shakes hands with a sky person, I'm kind of thinking like one of them must be thinking, "What the fuck is this? What are you doing? This is you're not doing it right." <laughs> it's funny, like when Nico, when Nico, uh, uh, when Nico is uh, reaching out to Octavia, and Octavia shakes like we do because she's a sky person. <laughs> and I'm kind of thinking like Nico is thinking, "What the hell is this?" Why is she touching my hand? This is weird. Why is she doing it all wrong? I am eating shit. That's awfully private and forward. That's just stupid. So guys, let's move on to our well actuallys for these four episodes. I all right, big well actually. How did how did anybody have all that time to get that art into Mount Weather? Let's be honest, folks. The bomb started started dropping. There's no time to run to the Museum of Modern Art and go get um, uh, uh, Starry Night by Van Gogh. Maybe it's um, all replicas. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Or maybe... I'm sorry. I just had... I, I just remembered something I wanted to mention about Starry Night. No, they're not replicas. They're, they're, they're real things. And then they had... Uh, Another piece of art behind Clark that's at the, the uh, Chicago Art Institute. Okay, so fun fact about Starry Night. So uh, Van Gogh was in a, a mental institution when he painted Starry Night. And that Starry Night was basically the view from his, his cell or his studio in that mental institution. And he did many studies of that same scene over and over again. Um, but I think it's kind of interesting that Starry Night is in um, Clark's quote-unquote cell at the very beginning where she's locked in there. I think it's kind of a, a neat little parallel. I don't know if it was uh, it was intended that way because Starry Night is super, super, super popular and everybody will uh, recognize it. But I just think it's that's kind of cool. Like, oh, he's locked away in a mental institution and seeing that from his cell and Clark is locked away not in a mental institution, mental institution but, but anyway. But so, like, dudes... There's no time to get all these great works of art from all over the world into Mount Weather. It's just, there's just no time to do it. I have your solution. I have your solution. All right. So Allie, in trying to like figure out what makes people people, art is clearly something that is like unique to humans, right? Okay. So we've got that. She has drones. We know from now that Amazon and like other like taco copter can like deliver things to you via drone. So she sends out all of her drones all over the world to grab art and then drops them off at Mount Weather. Like, like hold up, 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 hold up. Two questions. First okay. question, taco drone. Is that a real thing? I Can I get tacos via drone? 
It was an April okay. Fool's thing Fuck. in the Bay Area a few years ago. I know, I Fuck. know. It's like the most okay. disappointing news. Second thing, Second there is mm-hmm. no way a drone is getting past museum security anywhere close to those works of art. No whole She can hack. No, no, no. She can hack the system and like not set off any alarms. There's it's it just alley. no way. No way it happens. It no way that one of those pieces of art is just not those. Like most of them aren't completely ruined by the elements because you can't even like like breathe near some of these pieces of art and not have them like disintegrate. So so this is this is where you draw the line in my proposition. Like this, <laughs> your, of all your the entire thing. Your sh- your shit's crazy, like from the from the jump. But I'm just trying to like go along with your crazy and poke holes into it, um, and not maybe okay, the not that it's uh, I forget crazy. his name the the <clears throat> lighthouse uh, the lighthouse suicide guy. Um, maybe he Chris. Uh, Chris. That was his task. Lighthouse Chris. Maybe he. Uh, warn people and they no no lighthouse chris all he did was was cry a lot and then kill him <laughs> i don't think he had presence of mind to go hey guys um save Set. all the great works of art that humans have created there's no there's no time to transport shit from new york from chicago from anywhere else around the world to virginia and what get if? into this super secure government facility like what if all of the art was being transported by train. Maybe there was like the biggest art exposition that we've ever had in this entire world. And like all of the most famous pieces that ever were, were on this one like boxcar. And that's how, like, and it would happen. Like it broke down near Mount oh Weather. My God. Like y'all crazy. And it, it was like a heist. All right. I y'all, think we dwelled y'all, on y'all this crazy. long enough. Y'all, y'all crazy. <laughs> y'all crazy. So the, the other thing that the other, well, actually I have is the, the inconsistent editing and that fight scene. Where Clark is like laying on the ground, Anya's on top of her, and Clark's face is just covered in, in, in a little bit of dirt. And then the next scene, you look at her completely covered in blood, no action in between those two moments that would have covered her face in blood. Like, dude, where's the continuity person on set? Seriously. Like, who edits this stuff together and goes, oh, maybe it'll slip by people's notice. Didn't slip by my notice. I'll have you the know. The same people that, that edited Lex's bra strap in 307. Like, it's just, you know, you go with what, what footage you have. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. What about so you, Shaquille? What's your will, actually? Yeah. I guess these are, maybe they're not really funny, but, um, so one of, maybe one of them is. Next. Uh, um, <laughs> um, yeah, the, uh, they give, they give two different explanations for why the sky people, the archers, uh, can survive or metabolize radiation. Dante suggests that um, the sky people the sun, also sun. went through natural selection. Yeah. And uh, Clark kind of accepts it, and they say something about solar radiation. But then later on, in the later episode, uh, when they're talking about uh, when they they have they capture Emerson, Clark mentions that the <clears throat> Arkers were genetically engineered. So. Yeah. Um, and I think the second explanation, I like the second explanation better. So, uh, because there are no, like, the, we, we never heard about the Arkers throwing out mutant babies. So, um, so yeah. So, any, anyway, that's a, well, actually, oh that goodness. I had. Okay. Um, uh, the other one is <laughs> uh, Marie, um, Octavia. She keeps mispronouncing Trigida slang. Um, she keeps saying A-like. A like Octavia is it's supposed to be I like, just like regular I like, you know. Um, well, yeah, I she's think Canadian. Yeah, 
<laughs> I mean, they're so close to being like uh, North Dakota. <laughs> Are we back to that now? Except we love Canada. Can it, Kaylee? Wait, Canada, Canada. We love Canada. Love all you Canucks. Yeah, no, uh, I think America's it's because hat. the way David um, Latinized the um, trigger slang. Uh, you write it like when you want to write "I like," you write A I L A I K. So and it's like I like like. I like, I, yeah. yeah, but <laughs> I think Marie just keeps reading it a lake, like English. <laughs> um, anyway. She actually messes up when she's practicing with, with Lincoln. She messes up intentionally and she says something different. Right. Um, instead of, you know, I like Octavia, uh, Octavia Comb Sky Crew. Because um, got through clear means uh, to, uh, to have safe passage, to get through. Yeah. Um, and got through clean means to commit suicide. So, <laughs> no, two very different things. <laughs> two very different things. <laughs> All right, yeah. guys. So, we got to start wrapping this shit up because we we went a little extra long today, but I think we got some good discussion in. Um, so, our next episode, episode six, we're going to be covering season two, episodes five through eight. So, give those a watch along with us. Um, so, let's get on to our TV shows to recommend. Joe, what you watching? Uh, we are we are continuing our way through the second season of Outlander, uh, yeah. which so so the first season like like Outlander was billed to me. You know, there's time travel and Scottish things and like you sex. know costumes and lots of sex. Sex. Yeah, I definitely. feel like when you, when you bill a show with lots of sex, like it should have some there's sex like an, in it. There's like some there's there should be like an asterisk as far as like towards the latter half of season one and into season two, where sex may or may not just be sexual trauma. Like, yeah. Jesus. Like, the show gets dark in a hurry. But otherwise, it's still it's still good. You're just kind of like, God, is everyone, like, maybe everyone should just be celibate. Like, so you're maybe... watching soft porn, basically. It's... Yes. Yeah, but it's traumatic. It's not, like, fun to watch. <laughs> it's like, oh, my God, yeah, what's happening like... now? Oh, no. Like... Like, you think that they're going to, like, just kind of vaguely allude to something, and then you're like, oh, no, no, we're going to get, like, three separate flashbacks this episode. And Great. it's, yeah, it's going to go deep, literally and figuratively. Oh, God. Oh, oh. God, I just said that. Like, <laughs> could Claire and Jamie just have sex again? Just, could they? Like, season two, I don't, uh, I just, well, I'm not liking season, season two. two as much, because I just, uh, it's so, it's really dark and just horrific at times. And maybe um, it's my bias for pregnant sex, I'm like, meh. Uh, but uh, uh anyway, oh yeah, they um, did have yeah, they did have pregnant yeah. sex. So Otherwise, like, we're we're rewatching also, Parks and Rec. So oh, that's best, just good. Best comedy ever, Parks and Rec. Just it, good. If ever you're in a bad mood, just watch Parks it's so and Rec. Sweet. It's it so sweet. It is sweet. It's sweet without being cloyingly so. It's just like yeah. so uplifting. Unless you're Jerry. Damn it, Jerry. Um, Shaheen, are you watching anything? Uh, no, I got nothing. Cool. And then uh, my show's uh, 12 Monkeys is wrapping up its season two on tomorrow, Monday. Um, shit is so fucked up right now. I don't know how they're going to get out of it. Uh, and I hope there's a big reveal tomorrow. I just hope there's a big reveal. Um, also watching Killjoys. Fucking love this show. It's so much fun to watch. And they're building up the mythology of it really well. Um, I If you told me like uh, three months ago that my most watched network would be sci-fi. I'd, I'd slap your ass and call you Sally. 
And now Isn't I'm like watching. Thing? Yeah, it depends. But now it's like I'm watching a ton of sci-fi shows, and they're all really good, or really fun. So y'all need to give give stuff on sci-fi a chance. It's sci-fi not all is just killing Sharknado. It. It's what sci-fi sci-fi is killing it. This it, season. They are killing like, it. The last year, sci-fi has been just uh, it's good stuff. Great, good stuff. great shows. Uh, and another new show that's out that has a lot of critics touching themselves inappropriately is The Night Of on HBO. I am not touching myself inappropriately over this show yet. Um, I watched the premiere um, ahead of its actual premiere, and the main character does so many stupid things. So let me ask you guys. Guys, if you're brought in by the police and accused of crime, what is the first thing you do? Shut up. Lawyer up. Yeah, don't say you a fucking thing. Well, that's the second thing you do. First, pro, you shut up. Pro tip, everybody. You guys, <laughs> shut up and then lawyer up. If you are out there and ever, ever questioned by the police, shut the fuck up and lawyer up. Um, that doesn't happen in this show. And I'm just like, mm, am I really going along with the premise that this guy is this fucking stupid? But I'm going to give it a, I'm going to give it a chance. A lot of critics are like, oh, this is the new The Wire. And I'm just like, eh. I think they were, that, they were smarter on The Wire. Yeah, I think the mystery of of who did what is is going to be the thing that that really interests me more so than how the kid gets out of it. And then I want to give a shout out to a show that doesn't have a lot of eyeballs on it, but I think is really really good. It's uh, Halt and Catch Fire on AMC. It's it's two seasons in now, and it's going into its third season. Um, that it got a third season is utterly amazing to me because again, it's loved by critics but watched by no one. It's about the um, early beginnings of all this computer shit that we have um, in the 80s. Um, early beginnings of the internet, early beginnings of online gaming, early beginnings of, of servers and connecting computers. And it's got Lee Pace in it and some other really great actors. And this is a show that, again, retooled a bit in its second season and got so much better. And it started to focus a little bit more on the very capable women on the show who are, who are really good at business and computers and shit. Um, so if you're looking for an interesting show to watch, uh, I strongly recommend Halt and Catch Fire. So again, a reminder to everybody, thanks for listening. Uh, please again, tweet, tweet to us and follow us on Twitter at May We Geek Again. Remember we're giving, uh, a DVD of season three away. Um, if you follow and retweet our tweets that have the little graphic in it that tell you to retweet and follow, it'll be apparent. Um, and, and also follow us on, or, or like our page on the Facebooks. So until next time, guys, this was fun. May we geek again. Take it easy, guys.